There is little time for introductions today, so I'll get right to it. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. Today's episode features Cynthia Wallace of Warman Mennonite Church in Saskatchewan. She brought this teaching to the gathering of Mennonite Church Canada's Assembly in Saskatoon on July 5, 2016. Using the Assembly's new covenant theme from Jeremiah 31, Cynthia challenges the whole church to imagine boldly what our faith can do for an aching world, even when the church itself faces times of uncertainty and instability. Cynthia is Assistant Professor of English at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. She attends Warman Mennonite Church, where her husband, Josh, is the pastor. We have edited Cynthia's teaching for length. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? I wonder if these words of Psalm 137 resonate in any of our souls. I wonder if any of us gathered here feel more like sitting and weeping than singing the songs of the Lord. Tonight I'd like to propose that the place to begin is by telling stories that look back in order to lead us to imaginations that look forward. So let us begin by considering the story of Jeremiah to remind ourselves that the beautiful words of our theme verse come in the middle of a text that's much more concerned with sorrow and loss than with celebration. There's a good reason Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. God had long since sought to establish a partner people through whom to bless the world, covenanting with Abraham and Sarah, and then later bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and giving them a law that would ground their very lives in God. But by the time of Jeremiah, the people had broken the covenant with God again and again. From the greatest to the least, they had failed to live by God's standards of justice and faithfulness. They worshipped idols, and they refused to believe that anything was really wrong. And so God sent Jeremiah to warn them of the coming judgment. Images of living water, of trees and gardens and growth, images we see here, they stand in tension with warnings of fire and dry deserts and destruction. The promise of a new covenant arrives in the midst of all these warnings, warnings that we know came true in the Babylonian captivity when Jerusalem was sacked and the leaders taken into exile. Jeremiah chapters 30 and 31 are often called the book of comfort because they interrupt that terrible story of Israel's promised desolation with another promise, a promise of future restoration. God will bring the people of Israel and Judah back from captivity and will build them up again. I have loved you with an everlasting love, the Lord reminds them. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. This is the character of God. But it goes still further, for we read again in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is a radical promise, an earth-shattering promise, really. It far exceeds the promise to keep the original covenant by returning the people to their land and reestablishing their rulers. The people thought things would go on one way forever. They thought the terms of God's covenant protected them from destruction and also promised a stable reality. But both of those expectations are shattered here with a promise of radical forgiveness, a universe-shifting transition to a new sort of relationship with God altogether. The glorious new covenant the covenant that breaks with tradition and writes God's law on people's hearts, ending a cycle of sin and guilt and punishment, it comes to God's people only through loss. To quote Walter Brueggemann, the book of Jeremiah offers an act of paradigmatic imagination, whereby God is always terminating what is most treasured and then giving again beyond explanation. To be clear, this story is uniquely the Israelite story, and we should remember that. But there are parallels to be drawn. Like God's people in the book of Jeremiah, we find ourselves losing cultural power. We find institutions we thought would carry on indefinitely, diminishing and even dissolving. To be quite frank, at points we find ourselves not so much captive to a foreign land as captivated by a culture of destruction, distraction, and despair. Letting go of how things were and of how things would go on, it can be painful and costly. And so the temptation is to play it safe. Our temptation is to pray small prayers, to cultivate selective memories, to avoid certain conversations. Our temptation is to hedge our bets and focus on damage control. Our temptation is to find the path of least resistance. But Jeremiah's story teaches us that the beautiful, radical, unexpected work God seeks to do in the world can't come through tame categories. Before the planting comes the uprooting. Before the building up comes the tearing down. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, Jesus said. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. But friends, hear this good news. The God who has loved us with an everlasting love, who has shown us this love in Jesus, is a God of forgiveness and of surprises and of new and unfathomable beginnings. Admitting our own brokenness and need is the beginning of a shift that can change everything. I experienced one of these beginnings when I stumbled into a Mennonite congregation on the corner of Pratt and Ashland Boulevards in Chicago, Illinois, 10 years ago. I was a young graduate student, recently moved into the neighborhood with my theology student husband. I had grown up fundamentalist Baptist, which gave me a deep love of scripture and a profound suspicion of work salvation and of uncertainty. 
But in college, I had begun to read church history, and I had begun to study literature by African-American writers and by women and by formerly colonized peoples, and I had seen several of the most shining examples of godliness in my life exposed as abusers of substances, of power, of bodies. My faith was crumbling. But then there was Living Water Community Church, two blocks south of my apartment. Josh and I wandered through the doors of Living Water, and we were flabbergasted and confused by the community we found there. It was untidy. There were four languages being spoken, and an open mic at the end of each service where you never knew what someone might say, and dumpster-sourced potluck food, and children were running everywhere, and people were coming in off the streets to eat. And there was a woman pastor, which was a stretch for the young Wallaces. And sometimes this pastor's husband did interpretive dance behind the chairs during worship. (laughs) And the windows would get shut up in drive-bys because the church had been planted on a gang boundary on purpose. And the congregation would just pay to replace the glass in this symbolic gesture of tenacious hope. In the space of that cavernous converted storefront, and in a red brick apartment where, with other post-evangelical young adults, I studied the confession of faith in a Mennonite perspective and naked Anabaptist, with growing astonishment at what was possible in a life following Jesus, my faith was reborn. It was dead, and then it was alive. Friends, I chose to become a Mennonite because of the gift that it had to offer the world. Gifts of historic theology and practice of radical discipleship, of peacemaking and reconciliation and hospitality and simplicity, of thriving through loss at the edges of empire. These are gifts that our world sorely needs and that we have been entrusted with. And I say we because 10 years ago, I became one of you. Heaven forbid that we neglect the gift that is within us. Heaven forbid that we're not ready to hear when God says to us, Behold, I am about to do a new thing. Our covenant together is not founded on our own gritty commitment, although sometimes we need gritty commitment. Our covenant with one another does not ask of us teeth-grinding struggle. Our covenant is established by and constantly fed and renewed by the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit is active and present and dynamic among us. The love that overflows among the three persons of the Trinity is the same love that binds us. Our faith in God joins us to each other. And so we look back. And we look to the present, knowing that it is both a comfort and a risk, knowing that these stories inspire us and sometimes terrify us or sadden us, but that they also empower us to look forward. Looking ahead to stories in the future is called imagining. What are our deepest hopes? What love and longings orient our sense of what is to come? Looking with honesty at the past, confessing our wrongs and lamenting our losses, opens up space for us to imagine the future. 
In risky remembrance of where we've been, we find freedom to welcome God's steadfast but perpetually surprising new work, work that we are being called to join, unclenching our palms and our hearts and remembering God's faithfulness in the covenant-rich past can reorient our imaginations toward a hopeful expectation. It can free us to dream. God's promise of a new covenant in Jeremiah's story, it's a story that reminds us that when we walk bravely through loss, when we confess our failures and our fears, when we boldly cling to the God who birthed us as a people, we can count on something beautiful, life rising from death. May our imaginations be shaped by this hope, by this paradigm of destruction and renewal, losing and finding, disappointment and surprise. Let us sit by the waters and weep, but let us also open our hearts to that which is to come. Let us open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to new stories. Let us sing the old songs and also write new songs. Let us dream together new dreams, free and bold and childlike. The Lord will create a new thing on this earth, Jeremiah promises. The question is, am I ready for it? Are you Are we? May we be. Amen. Thank you to our guest speaker, Cynthia Wallace, for these good words. Cynthia spoke at the opening worship of Mennonite Church Canada's 2016 Assembly in Saskatoon. If you would like to access resources on our theme today, visit commonword.ca and type Church Future into the search bar. You're invited to join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. We love to hear from our listeners, whether it's by email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind via churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca or mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks so much for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living. Salt and light as people of the way.